right, well, we're just going to talk a wee bit this morning about sin. Just a wee bit on sin. Sin in the swine flu. Uh, so we're going to continue on with our Bible boot camp here, and we're going to talk about sin. You know, I have been so knee-deep in sin this past week. It's unbelievable. That's the only thing I can think about this past week is sin leading up uh, to this message. I mean, I'm thinking about I'm dream. I actually had a dream about sin this past week. It was crazy. It was kind of a bizarre dream. I, I don't quite have the interpretation. If somebody can help me out with the interpretation of this dream afterwards, I would love to hear from you. But I had this dream about sin that I went to heaven and there was this huge like warehouse room and on the wall were all of these things that looked like a clock that just had one hand on it that was kind of ticking. And some were moving and some weren't moving and some were going fast and some were going slow. And I didn't understand what that meant. It was like there's all these angels around. And I went up to an angel who looked like he knew what was going on. I said, what's the deal with all these clocks? They all have names under what's this? He said, well, these are sin meters. And so every person on earth has one of these sin meters, and we just check them. We walk around and check them. And I said, well, this is interesting. So I looked around a little bit, and then the thought hit me. Let me check up on the church staff, you know. Let me see what's happening there. I went around to church staff, checked what the situation is with each one of them, and boy, would you like to know what the deal is with that. And so eventually I thought, well, you know what, I'll... I'll check on my own. So I went over and found my name, you know, John Sly. I went over and found my name, and my meter was missing. And I thought, this is a great thing. I mean, it wasn't even moving. They just took it down because look at that. So I went over to the guy and said, what's the deal? Mine's missing. He says, oh, the control room gets really hot. So we took that thing down. We used it as a fan up in the control room. I still don't know what he meant by that. I'm ch- I can't quite figure that out. So if somebody knows, help me out with that afterwards. All right. So what does the Bible have to say about Sin. It says a lot of different things about sin. And I listed all kinds of stuff. It's on your outline. It's on the screen over here, okay? So it says that sin is deceiving to us. It deceives us. It says that it easily entangles us. And here's a great one. It says this in First Peter, that sin wars against our soul. We could talk a long time about that, have a deep discussion. It wars against our soul. Here's the next one. It's quite scary, especially for a person like me. It says when words are many, sin is not absent. For a guy like me who has to talk a lot, I mean... When my mouth is moving, I'm sinning. So that makes me think, whoo, that's a problem. How does Jesus feel about sin? How does, how does God feel about sinners? Well, we're told in the scriptures that Jesus absolutely loved sinners. Not only loved, loved hanging out with them, right? You remember as you read through the Gospels, if you've ever done it before, if you're taking this New Testament challenge, you've recently done this, right? You read through it all the time. It's saying over and over, Jesus was hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. Tax collectors, he's always hanging out with them. He's hanging out with all the crowds and he loved hanging out with them. And you know what the interesting thing is? Is that the sinners, right, all these sinners that's talked about in the Bible, they loved hanging out with Jesus. There's a story, there's a story about this that is so compelling in the scriptures that a group of four sinners, they wanted to hang out with Jesus so badly they ripped the roof off of a house just to get to him. Isn't that interesting? And what is really interesting about that is Jesus never kind of worked his way around dealing with sin like he like confronted it he would call it out if there was something going on that was wrong he bam he would say it just like it is he wouldn't try to say oh ignore it or something like that he was very straight on he confronted and he called people out romans 5 8 says this about jesus christ and sinners it says this is the way he feels god demonstrated his own love for us in this that while we were still sinners christ died for us that's how he felt about sinners Christ loves sinners so much. He says, you know what? I'm willing to die for them. That's pretty special. The Bible says that sin separates us from God. It says that God hates sin because of this, because of this separation. That's the reason. 
It's not that God is all consumed with people doing wrong things. It's that the fact that God's heart is broken where there's sin because he, you know, he can't be in that relationship with us. That, that relationship is broken and that breaks his heart because the biggest thing to God is he wants to be in a relationship with people. It breaks his heart. And every time that we choose something that is what we would call a sin, what the Bible would call as a sin, it means we're choosing less than God's best. So, what does the church believe about sin? We're going to throw up, uh, we might actually need to, yeah, could you hit the lights for just a second? This is a belief statement from the Grace Community Church webpage. You can go to our website, trygrace.org, and you can see them. These are common, everyday, run-of-the-mill belief statements that, you know, almost every church in general has them. And there's a couple in there that I just wanted to highlight. It's the, it's the uh, third one, and it's the sixth one. And it basically says, this, if I can read it on there, we believe in the deity of Jesus Christ and his virgin birth and the vicarious and atoning death through his shed blood. That speaks about, no, it's not speaking directly to sin, but it is. It's talking about what Christ felt about us. And then later down in here, number six, it says, salvation comes only through God's saving grace not by any human effort, but it is the result of repentance, confession, and faith. And in the church, and we can hit the lights back on, the church for years, right, this is our belief about not just Grace Community Church, but the church in general for years. The Protestant church has believed in this about the Bible and the belief about sin. Now, here's the thing. You know what I love? And this is one of the things I love about this Bible boot camp. One of the things that we learned when we went through all these next steps is that people said, you know, we want you to challenge us. We want things to be challenging in church. We want to talk about topics that are challenging to us. And one of the things I've always loved about Grace Community Church is I have this own need in my life that I love to talk about issues like these basic issues that you can be passionate about that are really important to us where we can get involved in a conversation where there's not a meltdown. You know what I mean? Where there's not a melt. I have a need for that in my life. I don't know about you. I have a big need for that in my life. To talk about important issues where people don't go running away from each other because somebody takes an opposing side. And one of the things I've always loved about Grace Community Church is people here, so diverse, we're very diverse, but we're open to conversation, to listening, to speaking, to learning, and to debating without picking up our ball and running home without getting powered up and saying, hey, you believe opposite to me, you better believe just like me, or I'm going to make you feel like you're an idiot, right? Or you believe different than me, well, then I'm out of here. You know what? I think it's so wonderful to talk passionately about issues, passionately about issues and debate them and think about them and still not have a meltdown. And so kind of that's what this Bible boot camp is all about. It's just a major challenge. We're talking about these fundamental questions. Now, we did this last week. We're going to do it again. Throw up that uh, text number. If you have questions as we go through that, there's the number. So take out your cell phones, all right? We're going to allow 10 minutes at the end of this, hopefully, 10 minutes at the end of this, and we want you to text that number. We're going to be getting all those questions that you throughout this message down, and then Ryan's going to come up at the end. He's going to ask some questions to me again. We're going to see if maybe we can answer them. So please feel free to text Feel free. This is one of the few times that you just can text away in church without any feelings of guilt. You're not sinning at all if you're texting in the middle of the service today. So take advantage of it. All right. Here we go. Three things. I'm going to give you three things that we believe about, about sin. Church, when I say we, I'm talking church in general. 
Okay, believes about sin. They're pretty basic stuff. First of all, the essence sin is we have a spiritual death sentence on us. We have been sentenced to death spiritually because sin. Sin causes spiritual death. Romans six twenty three. The wages of sin is death. How about this one? Ephesians two. You were dead in your transgressions and sin. Colossians two thirteen. You were dead in your sins. Right. So we think about this. What what death are we talking? We're talking about spiritual death. That's what the scripture is talking about, spiritual death. God told Adam and Eve in the garden, if you, if you disobey, if you sin, if you do less than best, if you choose this way instead of my way, you will die. And they did not physically die right away. God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit is the Trinity, right? People are made up of body, mind, and spirit. We are a reflection of God. We are our own Trinity, body, mind, and spirit. What died in them died in us. Our spiritual person, our spirit died. And so we've been sentenced to a spiritual death. Okay? I stands for we have inherited our spiritual condition. We've inherited this thing. Romans talks so much about this. But I'll read you one verse. Verse 12. Romans 5, 12. When Adam sinned, sin entered the entire human race. I might get some good text questions on this one. When Adam sinned, sin entered the entire human race. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone for everyone sinned. And Psalm 51 says it this way, really clear. I was born a sinner. I was born a sinner. Born with sin. We are born with this condition. And that kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Right? For those of you who have kids, that should in some ways... Uh, really makes sense to you. Like before I even could teach my kids to be oh, disobe disobedient, they were disobedient. Like they, they, were, they were ahead of the curve. Before I even get to them and say, here's how you do it. This is how you be disobedient, right? They already were being disobedient. How did they know to do that? Because they were born in that condition. And that's why the Bible says we bring up our kid, bring your kids up in the instruction of God, right? So if, if some people believe that and this, is, this is, goes back 2,000 years to just after the time of Jesus Christ. People believe that kids are born as a blank slate with no bent towards sin, just a complete blank slate. But the Bible doesn't agree. It's not consistent with that thinking. See, if that, was, if that was really true, then why in the world would Jesus Christ come as Savior? He would have no need to come as Savior. Jesus should have come as Nanny 911 if all we needed was better parenting, Right? If all we need was better parenting, then we need a parent. And then we could change the whole world through nanny 911. We'd be great. But we're told that Jesus Christ came to seek and save the lost because we needed a Savior. Because we were born with this condition. All right. Flash that number up there again so we all can know the text questions too. Very good. All right. That's the I. We have inherited our spiritual uh, condition. Here's the N in sin. Here's a tough one. Nobody deserves heaven. Nobody deserves heaven. That's a hard one. Romans chapter 3 says, There is no one righteous, not even one. Now, in the word righteous there in the book of Romans means to be in a right relationship with God. There's nobody, and it goes on to say, apart from Jesus Christ as our mediator, as the in-between person, right? There is nobody apart from Jesus Christ that is in a right relationship with God. That is really tough. It says this in Romans chapter 5. When we were utterly helpless, utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. We were helpless. We were hopeless. We were powerless to do anything about this, about our sinful condition, apart from God's help. There's no use to even try. 
When Jesus says in John chapter 15, he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. For years, I couldn't quite understand that. I thought, well, gosh, we can do a lot of things, right? Can't we? We can do a lot of things on our own. But this is what he's talking about. Apart from me, you can do absolutely nothing. So why even try? This is the condition that we're in. Now, at this point, I wanted to go on this rant and rave about the Redskins and how it's just so hopeless and how can we rise above our owner. But I've decided against that because it's just too emotional of a topic for me right now. I see people out there, diehard Redskins fans, they're still wearing the jerseys, but the look on their face, utter hopelessness. Power is gone. It's the same. There are so many parallels to the gospel of Jesus Christ and what's happening to the Redskins right now. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. All right. Thank you, brother. I'm just going to go on a wee more, and then we're going to take the questions. People say, I'm a good person. I'm a good You know what? I say that I'm a good person, right? You all think I'm a good person, don't you? I'm a good person, right? And I look at other people and say, you know what? Compared to other people, I deserve heaven, right? So people out there that they definitely don't deserve heaven, but I deserve heaven. And so we, we think that, you know, that almost 100% of Americans believe in heaven. Almost 100% of Americans believe in heaven. And do you know that almost 100% of those that believe in heaven believe they're going there? But only 50% of us believe in hell. Now, we don't like to help people. I don't like to help people. I don't like talking about hell. I'm more of a grace person. Remember a few weeks when we talked about Jesus Christ came full of truth, full of grace, that you have to hold those two opposing ideas together at the exact same time? And if you don't hold truth in your hand at the same time that you hold grace, you actually drive yourself and others from the grace of God. That's a very interesting discussion right there. We try to be so full of grace that we actually, it's ironic, we drive people from the grace of God from experiencing it because we extend so much grace to them and without any truth. Ah, that's an interesting thought. But you know who'd like to talk a lot about hell? You know who actually talked more about hell than any other single person in the Bible? Who knows? Who knows? Anybody? Mr. Grace himself, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ talked more about hell than anybody else. And I just think that is absolutely fascinating that he did that. Now, this message is entitled, Sin in the Swine Flu. So what does all this have to do with the swine flu? What has absolutely a lot to do about swine flu? When I heard about, first heard about the swine flu, my first thought, my first reaction to the swine flu is, I'll never get that. Not going to happen to me, right? Other people will get it. But I'm better than that. I'll figure a way out of it. I'll keep myself clear from that. I will never, ever be touched by the devilish swine flu. It will not strike me down. And then we heard about it was spreading. It was, sp it was spreading everywhere. It was spreading rapidly. It's going absolutely crazy. Everybody's getting the swine flu. And they said, you've got to take care of yourself. You know, you've got to do the Perel and you've got to, you know, wash your hands and all this kind of stuff. So you know what I did? And I got a few visuals for you. I got, I got whatever, Germex, right? I got the hand sanitizer. I just lathered down two or three times a day. I took my multivitamins. I took my vitamin C. I did all that kind of stuff. I got a mask. I didn't wear it. I didn't wear it, but I have, it's actually my wife's mask. But, you know, some people walk around wearing these things, you know, did that kind of stuff. And I thought, there's no, there's no way that I'm going to be struck down with the swine flu. But then we heard things like it was even getting worse. Stuff like in the, in the Washington Post, it says school absences are going absolute. People are thinking about shutting the school system down. The other Post article here says a wild dose chase going on amongst parents because there's a hysteria going on around the swine flu. And then just two days ago, I got the thing from the car dealership saying that my car was like this germ 
factory and I needed to sanitize my car down because it was a breeding ground for the swine flu. And my daughter came home and told me that 20% of her school is out right now, struck down with the swine flu. Man, that's what I said. I don't know who said that in the back, but that's exactly right. Whole households within a Grace Community Church, whole households within this church community right here have been struck down with the swine flu. We have whole households in our neighborhood struck down with the swine flu. I've read about football teams. The entire football team struck down with the swine flu. LeBron James hospitalized with the swine flu. And I thought, oh my gosh, it's no longer if, maybe, or whatever I get. It's inevitable. I'm getting a swine flu. It's coming my way like a freight train, and it's moving quite rapidly toward me. There's nothing I can do. And then just yesterday, our very own young Derek 80 has been struck down like a little English schoolgirl, tackled. <laughs> tackled by the swine flu at 12 o'clock yesterday. It snuck up behind him and nailed him. I mean, knocked him. I mean, look, the guy passed out. He passed and hit him so hard. I'm serious. He's got a black eye to prove it. We're going to show you a picture, but I didn't want to embarrass him. Pray for, pray for young Derek because yesterday he got... So it's common. It's kind of like the swine flu in sin. The consequences of sin, according to the Bible, are absolutely inevitable. Like the swine flu. Isn't that interesting? Alright. Jesus Christ is our only hope. So here's a really popular question. Alright? Everybody... How can a loving God send people to hell? How in the world can a loving God send people to hell? What I want to say to you is that's kind of an emotional question. You know, God, how can you, you know, you're so loving. How in the world could you, how could you do that? Uh, I, I know somebody that says to me that they know a person who is just an excellent, excellent person. Um, but they just like totally reject God altogether. And they say, you know what? This person is, if, if this person isn't getting into heaven, I'm not going to go into heaven either. And I thought, but that's great. I mean, you, they have that much love for that person. So, but I want to point this out to you. That is a very emotionally driven question. The Bible, everybody, the Bible that we have is a legal document. For those of you in the audience that are lawyers, you ought to, be, you ought to sync up really well with this. We have been talking about this the past few weeks. The Bible is driven by logic and reason. I know we approach it in a very emotional way, and that's wonderful, and we should, and it touches our emotions. But at its core, everybody, the Bible is a legal document. It is a covenant. It is a contract, a binding legal agreement that God makes with us. That's why covenant is so big in the Bible. It's driven by logic. It's driven by reason. And so when you approach this, you have to approach it in a legal way, not in an emotional way. And so the proper question is this. How can a holy God allow sinners into heaven? That's the question to be asked. That's the logical, legal question to be asked. We have to think about how in the world can a holy God allow into heaven? God's highest attribute, according to Scripture, is His holiness, not His lovingness. You don't read in the Bible that God is love, 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 do you? What do you read in the Bible? Multiple times, God is holy, holy, holy. Why does the Scripture present that to us? Because what the Scripture in its revelation of who God is is trying to tell us is that above and beyond all of their attributes of God is that God is holy. That's who God is. He is holy. And we have to deal with that holiness of God, and that is a very difficult thing. If you've ever felt like me, and I've felt like this many times in my life, I've felt to myself, I said, you know what? I have blown it so many times in my life. I have just messed up so many times in my life that I'll say, you know, to God, 
you know, I, I can't even ask you to forgive me again. I've just blown it too many times to ask you. I just feel so bad. I feel like I've done blown it so many times. I just can't ask you to forgive me again. And you know what my problem is, everybody? You know what my problem is? I don't truly believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I have never embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've never embraced the grace of God. You know why? Because if I had ever truly embraced the grace of Jesus Christ, I would realize immediately that I was as unworthy the first time I blew it as I was the thousandth time I blew it. Does that make sense? I am already unworthy. I can't get any more unworthy. That's the grace of Jesus Christ. That's the truth of the scriptures. There's no way for any of us, anybody in this room, to get more any unworthy before God than you already are now. It is impossible, according to the scriptures, to do any good works to earn salvation. Therefore, it's impossible to do enough bad works to lose it. That's the truth of the agreement of grace that we have with God. One last story. We're going to go to the question and answer time. And hopefully we'll have a robust time of Q&A. All right? One last thing. I want to talk about C.S. Lewis. Something that really, it, it really hit home with him. And when I read this story, boy, it really hit home with me. Big time. So C.S. Lewis was in a group of people one time, a bunch of uh, philosophers and theologians. And they were uh, batting around the uniqueness of the different religions of the world. They were just talking about what makes them all different, you know, unique. Now, what's unique about each one? And um, they came to this whole thing about grace. And C.S. Lewis, you know, if you know much about him, he weighed all the things about what we've been talking about, the reliability of God's word and stuff like this. But here's what he said. He said it was the issue of God's grace. It is the most, it is the most illogical thing that you'll find in a logic-driven God's word. Grace. It's illogical. It goes against all of our human instincts. And he said the thing that tipped the scales for him, for him to put his belief in Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, he said, there is no way a human being could have thought that up. It is the greatest free lunch that the world has ever known. Salvation, and there's nothing you can do to earn it, and there's nothing you can do to lose it. It's all by the grace of God. It strikes against my very core as a human being. Because I figure, you know, if I do this, then I get this. That's the way my world works. I don't know about you. Every job I've ever had, I didn't get paid for nothing. I did something, and I got a paycheck for it. It's the way the world works. And it goes against every instinct and every human being I've ever known that you get a free lunch for absolutely nothing, and the lunch you get is the greatest lunch that we've ever heard about in the history of the universe. And so, thank you. And so, uh, C.S. Lewis, that tipped the scale for him. No person could have ever thought that up. That is totally unique to Christianity. Okay. Let's, uh, let's do Q&A. Where's Ryan? I hope you got some questions, man. Would you all help me welcome Ryan Brackett? All right, I agreed to do this before I knew the topic was sin, just so you know. We just found the best uh, sinner that we knew, and we asked him if he would ask some questions to Ryan Breck. Thanks. Thanks for that introduction. Okay, we've got uh, maybe five or six questions here, uh, and they're, they're, I think they're really great questions. Uh, first of all, first of all uh, how, do we, how do we know if something that we do is sin? I guess, how do we define, how do we define sin? Yeah, Greg, that's, that's a great question, Okay. I, I think that that question, you really have to be a student of, of God's word. Now, here, here's the thing. We're told in the Bible that God put a conscience in all of us. 
So even those who have not been exposed to proper teaching or modeling or the Bible or whatever, right? We all have a conscience, and there's a sense of right and wrong. So it starts there. But we further that education by you know, being around people who will guide us and direct us, and, of course, through God's Word. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Legalism creeps its way in very easily. And Jesus knew that, and his greatest debates were the, with the people who were on the outside were like totally righteous, and they're all, right, you know, um, and felt like they were, had great standing with God. And he called them out because they didn't. And he would say things like this, Matthew chapter 5. It's a great read. He says, look, uh, you've heard that it says that you shouldn't murder somebody, right? That's one of the Ten Commandments, don't murder somebody. He says, he says but I'm telling you this. You're sinning if you're exploding with anger. Oh, my gosh. That's, so there's an attitude. He goes back to the attitude behind the things. And then he goes on to say, you've heard this, you shouldn't commit adultery. But I'm telling you, if you ever look lustfully at a woman, Jesus, help us. You know, he says, you're sinning, and you're worthy of the same sin. You're worthy of the same you know, sin as the person who commits adultery. So, I mean, I know none of the men in here do that, but, uh, which is, that's helpful. But how do we figure that? How do we figure that out? I think we figure that out that we understand the spirit behind the words that are in God's word. Yeah. Well, thanks. That actually uh, kind of gets into the second question, which is: Is thinking something sinful just as bad as doing something sinful? Thinking about it, yeah, because yeah, it starts it starts in the thoughts, and that's where Romans says we need to be re- renewed with our minds. You know, it says we have renewed because it all starts in the mind. The battle's the mind, everybody. The battleground is the mind. Our thoughts, our thinking, so much to do with that. So it begins in the mind. So you have these Pharisees, which we all, you know, we hate the Pharisees, and we read about. You read the Gospels, you can't stand the Pharisees. You just you know, and Jesus nails them, so we're like, yay, you know, this is good, nail them. But that was their deal. On the outside, they're cool, but on the inside, it's a, you know, it's a sewer that's just, you know, it's going off. So, yes, we do. We have to, yeah. All right, thanks. If everyone sins, and we already said that I'm the, the worst in here, the best, the best sinner in here, why are we held to a standard we can't achieve? That's a, that's a great question. Um, well, you have to come back to the grace of Jesus Christ. Uh, there is, there's no, there's no way. I mean, God's not holding us to a standard that we can't achieve because of grace. Um, so, if if the question, if I'm I'm thinking what the question's really saying. So, if the question is, why is God holding us up to something that we can't do? We can do it, but the can do is not saying, oh gosh, I can just forever, I can be a perfect human being. I'm, I've actually heard people say this that they feel they're sinless. That's crazy to me. I'm sorry if you feel that way. I don't mean to call you crazy, but it just feels really... Because, boy, that is such a misunderstanding of my own humanity. Uh, The more I understand about the grace of God, the more I understand what God's done for me, the more it puts me in touch with who I I really am. Now, with that being said, do you know what the Bible says in, in, um, I think it's Ephesians? It says, the grace of God is what gives us power to actually overcome sin. Great, thanks. So, I guess just to... We aren't set up to fail, then. You don't believe God has set us up to fail? No, uh, I believe, you know, and that's what the Scripture says. He set us up for victory in Jesus Christ. 
Uh, there's this great story. The closest thing we do, we have this, what we call a systematic theology in the Bible, is the book of Romans. The book of Romans has led to countless kind of spiritual renewals in people's lives. It, it, it led to the great reformation, you know, uh, back in the, with Martin Luther, right? It, uh, John Wesley led to this huge spiritual revival. And it's not in the book of Romans, you have to read it. But there's a great story in there. And I know I've told this story before, so for those of you who heard it before, please bear with me. But here's the deal. It's talking all about that because Romans starts off with, you know, there's none righteous. No, not one. We're all sinners. And it's, it's bad. It's just really bad. And you start thinking, oh, my gosh, there's no hope. How can I overcome it? Then he starts talking about the grace of Jesus Christ and how God can set us free. And then he gets up to Romans chapter 7. And Paul writing this, Paul called, he calls himself the greatest sinner. Theologians call him the greatest Christian ever to live. What a, what a contrast in those two things right there. And he says in Romans chapter 7, he says, why is it? that the things that I know I should do to be a follower of Christ, I can't do them. And the things I know I should, I should not be doing, I, I just keep doing them over and over again. It's, it's awesome. And then in Romans chapter 8, he begins, he ends Romans 7 by, who is going to free me from this body of death? The body of death in Paul's day was a form of execution. You would take a dead corpse and attach it to somebody who was going to die, right? And this was their death sentence. And the rotting flesh of this dead corpse would slowly eat away at the living person. And it was a gruesome, you can only imagine, horrible, horrendous, nasty death because this dead person was attached to him. And he says, who's going to free me from this dead person that's chained to me? And then he says, he talks about Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, which we'll talk about in a few weeks, the Holy Spirit. But we have victory, the Bible says, through the grace of God, through Jesus Christ, and through the power of His Spirit working within us. Great, thanks. If, this one, I'm just, I'll, I'll put it the best I can. If, if sins are forgiven by God, why are we still paying for Adam and Eve's sin, our own sin? Why are we still paying for sins that are forgiven? Okay, that's good. Um, do you think that question is asking um, how is that fair that we're paying for Adam's sin? Is that what that question is asking? Uh, no. Yeah, I think that's exactly what it's asking. Okay, so it goes back then, everybody. It goes back to the thing I said in the I point where we have inherited this sinful spiritual condition. And, you know, I don't know about how you all feel about it, but as a Westerner, that just strikes against every core of fairness and justice. Is. They screwed up. Make them suffer. That's the way I feel, Okay. And why in the world do I have to suffer? I mean, we're talking, that happened. They made that mistake thousands of years ago. Let them suffer for their mistake that they made. Here's a couple arguments about that. Two weak ones, one that's, I think, fairly strong, uh, if I can remember them. So here it goes. Uh, if you and I were in their position, we would have done the exact same thing, right? That's one. I, would, I don't know about you. All right, I'll put it to me. I would have done the exact same thing if I was in, in, in their position. I, w I would have done that. Um, I can't remember the other argument, so let me go right to the best argument. If we have a problem with Adam kind of like being what I said in Romans chapter 5, being the representative head, like if that upsets us with him being the representative head for all of humanity and that we have inherited sinful spirits, check this out, listen closely. If we have a problem with that, then we also need to have the exact same problem with Jesus Christ being the representative head for us as well. Do you know what that means? So for all of you who are sinless, then you're great. You don't have a problem. You don't have to suffer for any sins. For the rest of you who are like me and you're a sinner and you know it, it means that I've got to get crucified on a cross 
And even after I'm crucified on that cross and I die for my sins, I don't get to experience eternal life because I'm not deity. I'm not God. I just have to suffer and die, and that's it. But if Jesus Christ is my representative head, then because he went on the cross besides me, I get to experience life. Did that make sense? So if we have a problem with Adam representing us, then we need to have the same problem with Jesus representing You know what? I got no problem with Jesus representing me. He can take, you know, as bad as it sounds, he can take the, the lashes and the crown of thorns and the nails through his hands and being rejected by the Father so I don't have to experience that. It's pretty selfish on my part. We call Good Friday, and people say this all the time, why do you call it Good Friday? It's a pretty bad day. It's doggone good for us. It's really bad for him. But why did he do it? Why did he do it? Because he loves us so much. Why else come down to this earth and do that? I mean, that is the most horrendous thing in the world. Okay, I, I don't think we can take any more, but how about a hand for Ryan Brack? Good looking, good looking young man. Okay. Um, I think the last thing I want to say, you know, uh, this morning is this. The grace of Jesus Christ is absolutely unbelievable. And to fully embrace it and understand it, um, I don't think we could live enough lives to fully comprehend the grace of Jesus Christ and what God has offered to all of us. If you have never opened or embraced that, if you have never put your faith in that or tried to put your belief in that, I just really encourage you to consider doing that today. It is the greatest free lunch that you will ever experience. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for your word. I thank you, Lord, for your goodness. I thank you for your love that you're not sitting up there on your throne in heaven shouting down, you're a sinner to me. You're not doing that to me, God. But you're looking down out of heaven with a heart filled with love and saying, I just want to be in a relationship with you. I just want to show you what's best. I want to give you what's best. But because of your holiness, there's, there's certain requirements that need to be met. But, but you fulfill those, God. You come down and you take my place on that cross. And that is absolutely wonderful. Lord, I pray that all of us would continue to be able to understand and be enlightened more and more every day to the truth of your word. We thank you, God, for that. In Jesus' name, amen.